43, and the last in a present series on this little phrase, you are mine, and what that entails. So Isaiah chapter 43, please. Isaiah chapter 43, I'm going to once again read from the very first verse. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1. But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in your place. Since you were precious in my sight, you have been honored, and I have loved you. Therefore I will give men for you, and people for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not keep them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory. I have formed him, yes, I have made him. Shall we have a further word of prayer? Father, we want to thank you this morning that our God reigns, that you are over all, the eternal God, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And we acknowledge you as King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who rules over the affairs of men and Lord who fashions every heart, the one who sees all things. Lord, we come to such a great and awesome God this morning. We thank you for the way you've been leading us through our service. And we want to ask you, Lord, as we come to our time in your word that your spirit would graciously Lord, lead and direct the speaking of the word and the hearing of it. We pray that we may hear right. Lord, anoint our ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Indeed, Lord, to each one of our hearts. And we pray that, Lord, you would be gracious to illuminate, bring the light of your word to us, that we may have understanding. Oh, God. We need you in these days, and we pray for your great grace to be upon us now. By faith, help us to, Lord, look to you for speaking and hearing alike. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, over the last few weeks, I've been looking at this little phrase, you are mine, and what that means as the people of God to know that we belong to the Lord. And um, the first week we looked at the fact that we are the Lord's by creation and forming. The following week we looked at the fact that we are his by redemption. And last week we looked at the fact that we are the Lord's by calling, that he has called us by name, that we are his, we belong to him. And as we come before the Lord today, what I want us to look at is the fact that we are his by means of the fact of overcoming. And actually that overcoming, coming through things with the Lord, is something of a sign that we truly belong to the Lord. You remember the Lord Jesus said himself in John chapter 16 and verse 33, I have overcome the world. In the Lord Jesus, we have the supreme overcomer. He overcame the world. He, overca he overcame every demonic opposition that he faced and every temptation to sin. The Lord Jesus didn't yield to anything that was contrary to the will of the Father at all. He overcame everything. And the glorious fact is that his life 
if we be born of the Spirit of God, is now in us by the Spirit of God. To get a hold of that reality is something that perhaps we little dwell upon or don't think about as much as we ought. That actually the very life of the Lord by the Spirit of God is in us. We, we were reflecting on our hope earlier, weren't we? From um, that wonderful hymn we sung. Well, the Word of God says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that hope overcomes its oppositions. And one of the amazing evidences, or shall we say, one of the great evidences that somebody has been genuinely born of the Spirit of God is they come through to an overcoming life. It doesn't mean they're not beset by trial. Far from it. In fact, another evidence that you're truly born of the Spirit of God is that you do have opposition. But the very nature of the Lord in you, consider it. He that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. And that life in you must overcome. It can do no other. The Lord Jesus has never failed. Whether it be in the days of his flesh, whether it be in the days of eternity as intercessor over his people, or whether it be his life lived out in his people by his spirit. In the Lord Jesus, we will overcome. So let's look at this second part of the passage I read out to us a little earlier. We've been looking at everything leading up to you and mine in verse 1, but now we're looking at verse 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you, for I am the Lord your God. The first thing I want us to see about this particular verse is that the Lord doesn't say, if you pass through the waters, I will be with you. He says, when. <laughs> he says, when you pass through the waters and when you walk through the fire. It's a given, friends. If you're born again of the Spirit of God, there will be opposition, obstacles in the way, and everything thrown at you to prevent you ultimately getting to glory. The enemy will do everything he can to undermine what the Lord has done in your life because he hates what God does. And if you're born again of the Spirit of God, you are a new creation. And not only that, you are his creation. We are saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, for we are his what is it? Workmanship. Couldn't remember the word. That's why I ask you. Not because I was testing you. We are his workmanship, created in Christ for Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand. Uh, you know, this is the marvelous thing. We are the Lord's work if we are genuinely born again of the Spirit. And that is what the enemy hates. And he's out to destroy the testimony of the Lord Jesus in Every life, if he can. He only comes to still kill and destroy. Why are you listening to him? He comes to undermine the Lord Jesus. He always has done, hasn't he? That's been his prerogative, to undermine the kingdom of God. And to distort and disrupt and get in the way of the purposes of God. Knowing that his time is short. There will be opposition as a Christian. If you and I are really following the Lord, we have basically three enemies. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Those are the three opponents that you are going to face in your walk with the Lord. The world is all around you. Its system, its way of thinking is all about you. That's why it's so important, if you are to be an overcomer, that you get your way 
of thinking by means of the word of God. That you actually um, fill your mind with scripture. That you, you allow the word to take root in your mind. This is so vital because we're transformed, friends, by the renewing of our minds. Unless our minds are coming under daily the knowledge of God's word, it makes us weak and vulnerable to worldly suggestion and worldly philosophy and ideology. Be careful to get your thinking from the word of God. Not by any preacher of themselves, but by what scripture says. Allow the spirit of God to renew your mind. Sit down somewhere in the day and just get your cup of tea and meditate on the scriptures. Or coffee if you prefer. But get, get before God. And allow your mind to be affected by what God says in his word. So important. The world is an enemy to you. The lust of it, everything in it, it's so opposite to God. The flesh is an awful thing, isn't it? <laughs> the flesh is all about you because it's with you. But you overcome the flesh by means of the spirit. Oh, we've got to watch out for the flesh. It's so deceptive. The world, the flesh, and the devil. All these things are in our way, obstacles along the path. And you can be sure that the enemy is going to put things in your way to distract you, to discourage you, to put you off moving on with God. The wonderful allegory by John Bunyan of Pilgrim's Progress is a perfect description of the Christian's life. Really, that is what it means to be Christian, <laughs> as he's called. It's difficult. There's going to be peril, hardship, things that you just don't understand, confusion. Don't be dismayed by these things being with you. The problem is we live in a culture in the church, in Christendom, generally speaking, that has come in from the world that says you should feel all right about yourself. You should, everything should be good. You should have so many cars and big houses and lots of money. And anything adverse, you just rebuke. Be careful you don't in the end find yourself trying to rebuke the work of God in your life. Actually, the word of God shows us that if the Lord is disciplining us, it's an evidence that we're true sons of God. If you're actually finding there's difficulty and opposition, it's not necessarily meaning even that it's of the devil. It could be that the God is doing it and that the Lord has allowed it in your life to fashion you accordingly, according to his purpose. Well, there's a number of things we could take up here. But let's focus on the narrative of Isaiah 43. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through. John 16 verse 33 says, Jesus said it. In the world you will have... Right, absolutely. You will have trouble. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Okay, Acts 14 and verse 22 says this. I'll read from verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. We could use so many verses like this. 2 Timothy 3.12 is another example of hardship that we have to endure. Uh, 2 Timothy 
3, verse 12. I'll just quickly mention that one. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. This really doesn't sound like your best life now, does it? I mean, when you think about it, it seems that it's pretty tough. Consider for a moment the fact that so many Christians, or seeming Christians, they seem to want to be happy in this life and holy in the next. But we're called to be holy in this life. And that's what makes us happy in the next. What about Paul the Apostle? Did he have an easy ride? Anybody up for Paul's um, experiences? 2 Corinthians chapter 11. How about this? 2 Corinthians. This is a little autobiography of Paul's Christian experience. It wouldn't make many bookshelves today. As a Christian top seller, would it? Look what he says. Verse 22 of chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils amongst false brethren, in, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside the other things which come upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Wow. You want power with God. You want authority with God. This is the authentic way. Now, Paul was called to be apostle. We're not called to be doing what Paul did and who wrote scripture and so forth. But if you and I had a quarter of this, that would be enough. <laughs> that would be enough. But you see, something of this way is the way of the Christian. It's authentic Christianity. You're going to face hardship when you pass through, not if, but when. And friends, if the enemy is not interested in you, what is wrong with your Christianity? Is it so weak that the enemy is not interested in attacking and harassing you? If the enemy is on your case, be sure there's a good reason for it. What does he say in this verse? When you pass through the waters... I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. Oh, thank God for this. You see, the scripture here says that when we pass through, the Lord will be with us in it, essentially. The Lord is with you. Now, this is something that as the people of God, we need to lay hold on. If we're going through the waters, if we're going through troubles, difficulties, which is what this waters is standing for, something of peril even, going through hardship, we need to remind ourselves that the Lord is with us. Meditate on that statement that God is with you. John Wesley's last words in his life were, the best thing is, God is with us. And then he went to be with the Lord. If you and I can lay hold on this fact, it will still our hearts and deliver us from fear overtaking us. I have called you by name, you are mine, 
I will be with you, the Lord says. Now that is all you need. Do you remember when Jesus is in the storm with the disciples and the storm is all about them? They're in a very dangerous place and Jesus is asleep in the boat. Can you believe it? He's asleep and the disciples come and wake him and they are so agitated, anxious and fearful. And Jesus basically rebukes them for their lack of faith in him. Now today, I get naughty as I get older. Now today we would be expected to just rebuke the wind and the wave. Jesus didn't get up out of the boat and start saying to the disciples, oh, you of little faith, why didn't you just deal with the wind and the waves? He didn't do that. Jesus rebukes the disciples for not trusting him, even though the wind and the waves are all about them. That's faith. It takes more faith to be in a storm <laughs> At times. You're going to go through these storms at some point and it will appear as though Jesus is fast asleep and you can't wake him up. Lord, don't you care? But remember what the scriptures say in Isaiah 43. I am with you. Do you know the wonderful thing about the Lord? You can take him at his word. Take him at his word. Trust him. Believe him. When he says, I am with you, he actually means it. Most of our fears as believers come about from some deep suspicion in our hearts. What if the Lord has left me? Can the Lord go back on his word? He knows that he's going to take us through these times of difficulty. You will go through the waters. But he says, I am with you. Remember what it says in Psalm 46 and verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present, present help in times of trouble. Then he goes on to say this, therefore we will not fear. Okay? We're not going to fear because the Lord is present with us in this. There's trial, there's difficulty, there's opposition. Our feelings are all over the place. Emotionally it's draining, but nonetheless we hold on to the fact that the Lord is with us. No matter what the enemy is doing to us or seeking to do to us, Ultimately, he cannot destroy the life of Jesus in us. He that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. And even if the world blows up, it doesn't matter. Because the Lord has said he's a very present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. One of the greatest testimonies as believers in the last days will be us not Fearing what's happening round about us. You must not allow, do not allow fear to be the dominating factor in your decision making. Because if you do, you're likely to make wrong decisions and wrong assumptions. Fear is something that naturally comes to us, but we need to overcome it by faith. Faith and fear work in opposite directions. We need to walk in faith. We need to believe God's word. We need to allow his word to come into our hearts and penetrate our innermost being to remove any fear that could come in. Fear not. So many times in the word of God. Fear not. I am with you. Remember, the Lord's called you. If the Lord has called you by name, you are his. He's taken up responsibility for you. He knows when you're going through the darkest time of your life he understands he sees it all and he will not allow you to be affected by that beyond the means of grace that he gives you to cope with it the lord will not allow that trial to get beyond what is manageable for you 
but with it he will provide a way of escape. You say, it's not manageable now. Not naturally speaking, but God is doing something in this. And the enemy seeks to exploit the areas of weakness in our own lives and seeks to penetrate at times. He comes in, it's like a flood, isn't it? He attacks us and we feel it's soon going to be all over for us. And it's beyond us in the natural. But you need to continually fix your gaze on the Lord. See that he is above this flood. The psalmist says, the floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods lift up their voice. But then he says, the Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters. He's above it and you're above it in him because you're hidden with Christ. Colossians chapter 3. Your life is hid with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, we shall appear with him in glory. That's what the word of God says. But in the meantime, we feel we're drowning. There a, comes a point where even against what's happening, we put our trust in the word of God. Even though we feel the opposite. We feel, Lord, are you abandoning me? No, the Lord is with you. He's a very present help in times of trouble. Don't allow the fear to dominate your thinking or your life. Do you remember what the scriptures say in the book of Romans? If God is for us, who can be against us? This is what the word of God states, friends. Is God for you? Do you know God is for you? I'm asking you. Do you know God is for you this morning? Or are you not sure? If you are born again of the Spirit of God, you are His. He has taken possession of you. He's redeemed you with His precious blood. He says, you are mine. You're my workmanship. You've been created in Christ. You are a new creation. The old is gone. Everything becomes new in the Lord Jesus. You have a new starting point. The Father places you in the Lord Jesus. Where once you were just full of Adam. Now, you have a new lineage, a new starting point, a new point of reference, and it's the Lord Jesus. And as his life comes into your life, you begin to express the traits of his life. You have to. You can't do anything other. Poor children, my children, they, they've got my traits, Malcolm. I see traits in my children, and I sort of think, that is me. I don't tell them that at the time. I say, that is me. I don't train them to be like me in that sense. My life is in them. Do you understand? If your Christianity is purely an observance in religious form, all you have is religion. The glorious thing about the new creation, the new creature in the Lord Jesus, is that the very life of the Lord Jesus gets inside you. The seed is in you. And you remember, in New Covenant, what happens is, instead of a heart of stone, you're given a heart of flesh. And what happens is, the law that was once a, an opponent to you, because it was written on stone, and you tried to observe it, but it excited your flesh to do the opposite of what it said, is now written on your hearts and in your minds to desire the very things that once you hated. Friends, this is so different from any other form of religion on this planet. It is an experiential life. The problem today is we have a, a form of godliness that denies the power. That's not Christianity. There's so many that are into just simply doing Good works to get saved. 
I pity them. They are enslaved to their own efforts. And the Lord basically says, I know you can't be like my son. But my son in you will make you like me. Make you like him. It's the spirit of God. The wonderful thing about the life in you is that that life never fails. You and I fail. But we don't put any confidence in the flesh for our Christianity. Or we shouldn't. Paul's really hot against the church in Galatia. Just read the language. So hot against this going back into circumcision. Placing confidence in the flesh. One of the elementary principles in Hebrews 6 is repentance from dead works. And everything that's not of faith is dead. <laughs> and faith is through our union with the Lord. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's what's living works, works that the Lord has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Oh friends, what a life we have within us. Romans 8, please turn there just for a moment. I just want to have a look at these verses with you because they really show us the nature of of our relationship with the Lord. Verse 31. What shall we say to these things? Haven't got time to go over what these things are. But do read from the beginning of I would say Romans 5. <clears throat> right through 8. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us. Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son. But delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril? Or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Verse 37, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Verse 38, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, the enemy comes to separate, but he is a created being. He can't separate you from the love of God in Christ. He can try and come against your body, your physical body, and that's why many Christians are persecuted all over the world. But he can't destroy the Lord Jesus. And the glorious thing is this verse says, Paul says in verse 38, For I am persuaded. In other words, if I can put it in another form, let's put it like this. Paul is saying, you cannot move me. You cannot move me on this. I'm persuaded. Whatever hell throws at you, there's nothing that can separate you. There's nothing that can destroy the life of the Lord Jesus. Blessed be his name. And there's going to be times when you are going to feel as though you're at the point of being totally destroyed. There's going to be times when you're going to feel, I'm sinking, I'm coming under the height of this water. Remember the Lord has said, I am with you. Remember the Lord has said, the waters shall not overflow you. Look at how strong a statement that is. He doesn't say, 
They might not overcome. He said they won't. They will not. Well, do you believe that, friends? This is the way to overcoming is actually taking God at his word. You're not going to overcome if you believe the Lord can't handle the waters that you're in. He's promised to be with you. The, this thing will not overflow you. Have confidence in God. Trust him. Be persuaded with Paul. This thing is not beyond God. And then in Isaiah, goes on to say, back to chapter 43, these words. And through the river they shall not overflow you. I've already stated that. Look at how strong a statement that is. And take courage. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burnt, nor shall the flame scorch you. I don't know about you, but I don't like the idea of walking through fire. But this verse says I'm going to. See, this is the, this kind of Mickey Mouse Christianity we have in some quarters of the church today. This sort of playground Christianity that says the Lord doesn't want anything to happen. You just everything to be easy. It's like the Christian's version of the snowflake generation, isn't it? There's no way that people are going to have backbone for the last days if you teach them that. Now, the, the scriptures don't encourage us to look for trouble or to get into asceticism and try and make things difficult for yourself. You won't need to do that if the life of the Lord Jesus is in you, I can tell you. You won't need to make things hard for yourself. And we're not encouraged to. And the fact is, even when things are tough, you can know the blessing of God in such a powerful way. That's the amazing thing with the Lord. Our joy is not dependent on the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Our joy is dependent on the reality of the living God. This is what's so wonderful about Knowing the Lord, his joy is deeper than the opposition that we face. It's amazing. You hear about people who, Christians have been imprisoned and they're singing their praises to God. They know the joy of the Lord in their hearts. Incredible. When you walk through the fire, you shall not. Now friends, are you going to believe this? You shall not be burnt, nor shall the flame scorch you. I have a friend who I was speaking to just last year. I won't mention who it is for the sake of the camera, but some of you may have a, an inclination. But I have a friend of mine, and I was having a meal with him. And he was recounting to me particular trials he's been through. And he says he, go, he remembers certain trial that he went through, and he goes through this trial in his mind. just to remind himself of how the Lord has delivered him. And I said to this brother, I said, Brother, there's no smell of burning on you at all, is there? And he looked at me and he just said, No. No. This man has been through trials. And I can't detect... Any burning, that's the work of God. Did he have to go through the fire? Yes. But he came out without the tiniest burn. It's extraordinary. In the fire, but out the other side. Turn with me to Daniel, chapter 3, please. Daniel chapter 3, you remember this wonderful trio, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, don't ask me to say their names too much, what a marvellous trio these were, Nebuchadnezzar had arranged for people to bow down to his idolatrous image, 
And these three wouldn't go along with it. And they get brought before Nebuchadnezzar. And he says to them in verse 15, Now if you are ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? That's a challenge to the living God. Very, very foolish thing to do. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. What a statement. If, this, if that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression on his face changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the, fire, the furnace <coughs> seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Verse 21 says, Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace now this is really they were bound as they went in and then we go down to verse 24 then king nebuchadnezzar was astonished and he wrote in haste and spoke saying to his counselor did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire they answered and said to the king true o king look he answered i see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar was, went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire, and the satraps, administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw the, those men on whose bodies the fire had no power now they were in the midst of the fire it wasn't that that fire wasn't around them the fire was there but the fire had no power over them and then it says the hair of their head was not singed nor were their garments affected and the smell of fire was not on them they came out Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except our own. Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made as ash heap. Because there is no other God who can deliver like this. That's the God we worship. Friends, there's no other God. If God can take these three out of a furry furnace that has been heated up seven times higher than it should have been and cause them to come out without any smell of burning, can't he do it for you? Or is your fire too big for God? Surely you can be in there. The marvelous thing is they were in there and they weren't bound in the fire. Do you remember? They're loose in the fire. They're still in the fire, but they're not bound. The Lord had come and was with them in the fire, and all these ropes or whatever they were around them had been loosed. And they were walking in freedom in the fire. Amazing. That's overcoming. Where you're free, when you're free, but you're still in the fire. Amazing. That's the place the Lord wants to get you to. Not where you are dependent on him changing your circumstances, but where you recognize he is with you in it and he has loosed you to walk with him in the fire. You will come out. The Lord's not going to leave you in there. 
You will come out. But a wonderful thing will happen when you come out. Your life will be a greater testimony to the reality of God. That even those who opposed you will have to worship the God that you worship. That's the kind of testimony we want. Where our opponents have to bow the knee to our God because we didn't bow the knee to theirs. Don't bow the knee to anybody else, will you? Only the Lord. So when you're in the trial, dear friends, remember this fact. Whatever you're going through, however hot it is, the Lord has stated, when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. You say, oh, very well, okay, I'll trust in the Lord. But why am I going through it anyway? What's the purpose of it? Why do I have to go through this difficulty? Why am I experiencing this hardship? Okay, I accept. We're going to have difficulties in this life. I'm not going to believe all the modern books that tell me I shouldn't have any trouble in my life now I'm a Christian. But why? Well, let's end by turning to Psalm 66, please. Psalm 66, one of my favorite psalms. Psalm 66, I'm going to read from verse 10. Actually, I'll have to do a run in verse 8. Oh, bless our God, you peoples, and make the voice of his praise to be heard, who keeps our soul among the living and does not allow our feet to be moved. For you, O God, have tested us, you have refined us as silver is refined, you brought us into the net, you laid affliction on our backs, you have caused men to ride over our heads, we went through fire and through water, but you brought us out to rich fulfillment. What a statement. And this is something of the purpose of God in bringing us into affliction to bring us ultimately through to a place of great fruitfulness and spaciousness with himself. Verse 10, for you, O God, have tested us. From the Hebrew, this word means to search out, to examine, to try, to prove. It's important for us to realize that the Lord does these things in our lives. He allows us to go through times of testing and searching out. Not so that we are, in a sense, brought to dust and destroyed, but so that there is the proving of the work that is done in us. For you, O God, have tested us. And by the experiment, found them to be true and faithful. That's what God is wanting to do in all our lives. 1 Peter 1 and verse 7. Just read these verses to you. Verse 6 says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving at the end of your faith the salvation of your souls. Marvelous. The passage of scripture, but note verse 7, the genuineness of your faith. The reason the Lord allows you to be tested and tried is to prove the living faith that he has placed in you. It comes up, comes to the fore uh, through trial, through difficulty. How can faith to be expressed or how often it is expressed when it's facing opposition? When you're going through difficulty and yet you prove the Lord in it, there's faith. 
He is looking to prove the reality of your walk with him. He doesn't bring trials to destroy you as a Christian. He brings trials to prove that there's living faith in you. That's the whole point of testing. You have refined us as silver is refined. This is a wonderful uh, phrase also. I want to read to you a little bit about what John Gill, the famous uh, pastor, said at this particular phrase because I think it's so good. He's, John Gill says this, Thou hast tried as a silver is tried in a furnace where it is put and melted by the refiner and purified from the dross that attends it. So uh, the targum, quote, Thou hast purified us as the silversmith purifies the silver, or tries it by melting and purifying it. Thus the Lord puts his people into the furnace of afflictions and sits as a refiner and purifier of them. Hereby he tries their graces, faith, patience, hope and love, their principles and their professions, refines their graces and makes them more bright and illustrious, removes their dross and tin and reforms their manners and proves them to be good silver and approves of them and esteems them as such, even as his peculiar treasure." From whence it appears, as well as from the following verses, that afflictions are from God, that they are for the good of his people and not their hurt. Like silver, they are put into the fire of affliction, not to be destroyed and lost, but to be purged and refined, and that they are not in wrath, but in love. And this, with what follows, may respect the sufferings of the saints under Rome, pagan and papal. When Christ's feet, the members of his mystical body, were like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, when their graces were tried, their works were known, and their persons proved and approved. That's really well said. It's really well said. That's it. You see, the silver that they put into the fire of affliction isn't to destroy us, but to purge and refine us. You have, if you are being refined, the Lord is doing a profound work in your life. Don't kick against it. Allow God to have his full measure in it. Allow God to do his work in it. The Lord uses the heat to bring about the forming of the saint. He does it to bring us to a greater measure of glory ultimately. The Lord is in the business of forming you. He'll use this trial. He'll use this difficulty. Listen, the waters won't overflow you. The, the, the heat will not be too much. You won't come out all burnt and everything and destroyed. You'll come out with more with the Lord. The other end. And although you never want to go back through what you've been through, you wouldn't be without now what you've been through. That's the testimony of the Christian, of the true believer. You brought us into the net. That's restriction. That's, have you ever been in a net? I mean, it's not a nice place to be in. The net speaks of a hunter coming and catching the prey. We're caught in a net. And you, you say, well, isn't it the enemy that catches us in a net? Yes, it is. The enemy does it. It's the fowler, but the Lord does it. You say, that doesn't make sense. Makes every sense. The enemy thinks he's opposing the work of God by coming against God's people, when actually the Lord uses what he does to bring the child of God into greater authority with himself. It's amazing. This is what's happening here, because the psalmist says, for you, O God, have tested us. But then he goes on to talk about the snare, the, the, the net which speaks of the fowler. You have it there. You brought us into the net. You laid affliction on our backs. That speaks of a heavy burden or weight. Something that is laid upon a person's back. 
afflictions often is heavy upon the saint. It's not easy to carry. Verse 12, you have caused men to ride over our heads. How humiliating. But the Lord will use that as well. We went through fire and through water. There you go. Isaiah chapter 43 again, isn't it? Except it's the other way around in Isaiah 43. You've got the water and then the fire. But in Psalm 66, you've got the fire and then you've got the water. Either way, whichever testimony you have, the fire or the water first, it's the same thing. We went through fire and through water. But you brought us out to rich fulfillment or to rich abundance. Ultimately, when the Lord has seen the limit that is taking you through in this trial, he'll bring you out. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. You will come through. But if you and I could get a glimpse of what the Lord is doing, or even simply the reality that the Lord is doing something in us that isn't merely or only for this life, but is ultimately for eternity, we would better be able to bear it. There's things that you just don't understand, but remember what the scriptures say. Hold fast to what God has said. Oh, friends, I just love the phrase. It is written. It is written. Isn't that what Jesus said to the devil? It is written. I remember a friend of mine. He says, I've never really audibly heard the Lord. But many years ago, I was struggling in a particular area. And the enemy was opposing my faith. And he said it was almost an audible voice, but it wasn't. But it, was, it felt that strongly it came to him. And it wasn't the answer to his question, but it was simply this. The Lord said to him, my word is written. That's enough. Has God said, says the enemy? The answer is, yes, he has. It is written. I want to end by reminding you of a verse from the book of 1 John and chapter 5. I got in trouble at camp for saying I'm going to the last scripture and then going on to another one, which I've just done exactly here. So uh, forgive me and uh, I apologise in advance of your correction of me. 1 John 5. Verse 2. By this we know, verse 2, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Have you got that in your Bible? Does it say that? Or have some of you got a strange version? For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Friends, you may feel, I don't feel I'm overcoming at the moment. You let the Lord be the decider of that. Just recognise Firstly, if you're going through it and you are his and he's placed you where he's placed you. You understand I'm not talking about us going around sinning and then having to face the consequences of sin. That's a different matter. That's for another sermon altogether and probably for a different audience. But listen to this. 
The Lord in you will do the overcoming. Just wait and see. Just wait and see. When you go through these difficulties, the Lord says, I will be with you. Secondly, he's promised in his word that these waters will not overflow us. Thirdly, that the fire will not ultimately destroy us. Why not? Because the Lord says, I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. Look to him, trust in him, and may we all prove that his life in us is greater than any opposition in the world. To the praise of his glory. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you that we've been able to study your word together this morning. We pray as we fellowship uh, that your hand would be upon our conversation. And we pray that all that's been of you would be retained by us in our hearts, that which you've spoken to us. Anything not for us, Lord, help us not to just try and gather every crumb. But we pray that that which has been of you would be retained by us and we would learn of you and grow in you and be more than conquerors. Only you can do it, Lord. But we thank you that you are the overcomer. We praise you and we worship you. We thank you that we are yours and we can trust in you. If, Lord, we be redeemed of God, what need we to fear? Oh, help us, Lord. Help us, Lord even in the midst of trial, to see you're doing something so profound that will be to your glory in our lives for all eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Tea and coffee will be awaiting you.